this month's episode of Focal Point. I'm Harriet, your host, and I'm joined by the usual members of the IMV clinical team. So a warm welcome to Sam. Hi, everybody. And Amy. Hello, everyone. As always, we're going to be chatting about a topic related to the field of diagnostic imaging. And this month, we'll be discussing the ever-expanding role of veterinary nurses in ultrasonography. Helping us do that is special guest Jack Pye. Jack is a qualified veterinary nurse, having worked in both small animal first opinion and ECC. He's now a full-time locum veterinary nurse. His passion for diagnostic imaging is very evident through his ultrasonography webinars and recent lectures at the 2021 BVNA Congress. And he continues to promote and inspire veterinary nurses to further their skills in ultrasonography. So a warm welcome to Jack. Uh, hi, everyone, and thank you very much for having me. Um, so, Jack, tell us a little bit about your journey into veterinary nursing and how your passion for ultrasonography has developed. So my journey into student vet nursing, well, into vet nursing sort of as a whole, was not very straightforward. I struggled through college, sort of the theory side of things and exams. I'm much more of a practical, hands-on person, hence the, hence the ultrasound, actually being able to do something rather than just read about it. So struggled with the exams. Anatomy and physiology was my absolute bugbear. So it took four, four attempts to it. And then it might sort of, sort of come as a surprise, but ultrasound I found really dull as a student. I had no idea what was going on, on the screen, sitting in a dark room with a vet for sort of 20, 30 minutes at a time, even longer sometimes if they're learning how to do it, was an absolute nightmare. And yeah, I would try and avoid it at all costs and hide in a different room when they were looking for someone to hold the patient. And then through there, qualified eventually and then went into a small animal hospital doing emergency and critical care and then the ultrasound bug sort of started there really I went to a, a CPD day which was quite heavily practical so actually getting to do it on on some live animals and then took that back into clinical practice and from there sort of just self-taught myself and just tried to do it as much as possible really and sort of just pick picked a probe up at every opportunity to the point where a vet actually said you don't need to scan everything that walks through the door. I beg to differ in emergency and critical care. Self-taught it from there, but also had the privilege that I worked with some really good ultrasonographers who were interested in sort of cardiology. One of them sort of holding a certificate in diagnostic imaging and sort of cardiology as well. So um, it's all sort of boomed from there, really, and it's just become my niche that I really enjoyed. So is ultrasound something that you learn about in college when you're training to be a veterinary nurse, or is it just something that you picked up all post-grad? So, I've purely picked up post-grad, really. You touch on it very slightly in college as a student. I'd done the diploma route, so I sort of had one day a week in college and the rest was in, in clinical practice. The only time it was really touched on would be through the diagnostic imaging sort of module, but that's very heavily sort of gravitated towards x-ray and radiography. And funnily enough, even though I qualified sort of three and a half years ago, the syllabus still was focusing heavily on um, sort of manual processing of x-rays I have never seen one of those manual processes or automatic processes where you have to dip it in tanks I think I'm quite lucky that I can take an x-ray and it comes up on a screen but in terms of ultrasound all we used to learn about really was sort of like the, the ultrasound waves and sort of frequency and but nothing actually what you could take into clinical practice of this image is this and this is what it looks like and sort of the, the helpful stuff that you need to get started. Do you find that nurses coming through their training now are interested in ultrasound or do you feel that they, they feel as if they're never going to use it in practice so they're, they're not interested in learning how to do it? It's growing slowly in terms of the, the interest for it. Well, I don't think slowly actually is the right word. I think 
since I've started to post on social media about it, I've had a bit of an influx of people not realising they can do it. So the biggest question was, what qualifications did you do to, to do that? And people sort of were wanting to know so they could do it. And I said, well, I'm just a qualified vet nurse at the moment. I say just, not just a, not just a nurse, sort of along those lines. But I haven't got an extra certificate to do so. I just went to a CPD day and then have self-taught and sort of read up on it and, you know, developed it from there. Students coming through, I think when they see something new that they can do and a new skill that they can sort of add to their armory of going into clinical practice on a daily basis, they're quite intrigued to do that and and learn new things as well because they want to sort of develop their skills as much as anyone else. And I think as time is going on, now is the perfect time in terms of developing veterinary nurses' skill sets because the shortage of vets we're seeing in clinical practice is the best time for veterinary nurses to be doing as much as possible and if they enjoy the area that they're working in you're going to keep them interested as well so keep them doing what they what they want to i think also the social media um sort of community that you've got for vet nurses is bigger than ever and when they see people doing things that they want to do it too and i think students are now getting on that as well so it's not just sort of the RVNs here on the social media is students and as a massive support network and seeing what people are actually doing in practice and it's driving the profession forward I think. Yeah I think it's really interesting um, sort of with people learning ultrasound and getting into it I'd be interested to know from, from your point of view Jack what did you find the sort of biggest barrier to kind of getting into ultrasound was and and for, for anybody a vet and nurse whoever who's learning what what would your sort of tips be for them to kind of get getting started and maybe maybe getting better because it's, it's something we get asked about a, a lot and it's, it's always interesting to see people's experiences that's a yeah really good question actually so I think for from a nurse perspective the biggest barrier to getting involved in ultrasound is usually we're the ones holding so we don't actually get to do the ultrasound and also when you look at what content is out there well what was out there sort of even a couple of years ago it's all aimed towards vets all the ultrasound content I saw was was aimed purely at vets and it'll be sort of about tapping samples so taking sort of free fluid samples or aspirates which is something we're not allowed to do because we can't enter the body cavity so there sort of was the, the lack of education for it and I think now as sort of the, the role is developing there's there's more sort of becoming apparent and especially in ECC you know people think that we can't do it because it's potentially diagnosing but it's, it's not diagnosing it's just gathering that information sort of like taking a blood sample or taking an x-ray and just putting the pieces of the puzzle together so I think that's something that's developing hopefully and then I think if, from a nurse perspective, if I was being taught by a vet to do something, then I probably will think, well, that's something that I'm not supposed to be doing or, or can't do because you've been to uni for five or six years. You've got sort of further knowledge in, in the area behind you. Um, am I supposed to be doing this? And then I think people worry that, well, I'm not good enough to be doing this as well, which I think once you practice something enough and do it enough, that, that sort of also turns around as well. I've worked with vets to the point that they didn't do a lot of scanning and they knew I did and they were saying you might as well do it because you're going to get the images far quicker than what we can so it definitely is there to be to be done. In your opinion what would you say is the best way to teach people how to do ultrasound scanning um, in practice or you know in, in lecture format with the students what do you think works best? So I've done one in-person lecture 
which was quite diff different to doing sort of a webinar, having people in the room and sort of being able to engage with them was quite different. I think in terms of ultrasound, I think practical is probably the best way to actually get hands on with the probe and find out what like the little movements do, sort of fanning up and down the different depths and sort of frequencies to get the image that you want on the screen. Um, even just sort of being there, sort of in the room with them whilst they're doing it to just sort of guide them potentially. So even if it was like sort of over a Zoom call, you could potentially still support someone in terms of where they need to move their hand or how they're holding the probe. But being hands-on with it and just practicing as much as possible. I mean, there's still sometimes now where I see people who are experiencing orthopedics and they'll sort of be like, well, "Where, where is the kidney?" sort of thing like that, and like they just can't find it. And then all of a sudden, it will come into come into play, sort of thing. So it's not one of them straightforward techniques. All the animals are different sometimes. So, but once you do do it on a regular basis, then it it does become easier. I think in terms of getting them started, probably sort of patients that you've got who are having serial sort of um, scans. So if they're hospitalised patients that are having them sort of twice or three times a day, um, then that's quite a, a handy place to start because you can sort of be, be the one doing it over the over the day. And you then sort of build, in, you build a relationship with the patient, but also you can tell what's changing as well because you're the one doing it and your eyes are sort of seeing it there and then. So um also sort of like your patients that are coming around for anaesthetic if they're sort of in a stable position to be scanned and that they're not sort of too painful then you sort of check in bladders and things like that to sort of get in the basics the biggest thing I hear from people is that I can find a bladder and that's about all I can do and I always say if you can find a bladder you're over halfway there because you know what fluid looks like and you know what an organ sort of structure looks like as well so you then flip that around and be like well I know what fluid look like looks like if that's not in an organ structure I can know what free fluid looks like so they then already got a, a skill set there that they didn't even realize they had. Just going on from that what ultrasound or what things should like nurses be putting themselves forward to scan and what can't they scan I know you mentioned about you can't take FNAs or biopsies as it's entering body cavity but what is the can and can'ts with nurses ultrasounding? So in terms of the can and can'ts of ultrasound you can technically you can scan anything there's there's no sort of limitation in terms of what you can and can't scan other than they're probably sort of there's some fancy ultrasounds now that I think you can put down like the esophagus to get some cool views of the heart and various things like that I don't know in terms of whether nurses are, are able to do that it's probably not much different to placing a, an esophageal stethoscope when you're doing an anaesthetic so I expect there probably is is ways of doing it in terms of what you can and can't do though along those lines again aspirates so entering the body cavity to sort of tap fluid or take liver biopsies or, or anything sort of along those lines is sort of a breach in the code of conduct and the, the sort of schedule that we work under and then the scans that sort of we can be doing sort of point of care ultrasound scans really so triage scans so I do abdomen scans and chest scans I would t probably tell people to start off with the abdomen scans just because I think they're a bit more straightforward and you tend to be able to get some better images especially if a practice only has one sort of probe they've got sort of the the micro convex probe and they don't have the advantage of having the sort of phased array probes to fit in between rib spaces they, their life might be a bit more difficult and they might just get fed up and be like I'm not bothering with this because I can't get the image I want so yeah if you have a patient come in that's had any sort of form of trauma then pop a probe on it and sort of see if there's any free fluid or anything abnormal the more you do them scans the more you're going to build up your your image bank in your head of, of what looks normal and as soon as you know it looks normal, you'll spot something that's abnormal. 
you're not diagnosing something that, that looks abnormal. You can take an image of it, freeze the screen, take a little video. The vet can then have a look at it and, and refer to it, make sort of their decision from there. Or you can then even sort of rescan it in front of them or then, then they can. I use it as a tool to, one, it gives me sort of a lot of information about the patient's status. I can then go to a vet and say, you need to see this one quicker than sort of what you thought rather than something that's potentially coming in that, that can wait. And then sort of moving on to sort of the chest scans, I then was initially just looking for free fluid in the chest or sort of pericardial effusions, but that's developed from there further. Once you get the hang of the different views of the heart, I've sort of found tumours in the pericardium, clots that have been sort of swirling around in sort of chambers of the heart as well, and then sort of getting the left atrium and the aortic ratio as well, sort of for things like sort of congestive heart failure. So it's sort of nicer to be able to then develop it further on as well. And there's sort of no limitations into how you can develop it as long as we're not diagnosing anything and going to an owner and saying, your cat's got a heart failure, but you can go to the vet and say, this left atrium is really big. You know, I don't find that any different. So going to a vet and saying, this cat's got a temperature. I would be absolutely delighted in practice in an emergency setting if I came through to the wards and one of my nurses was doing a scan, I'd be so happy, particularly if it was a sort of bedside scan. And you were saying to me, actually, this cat's got a large atrium. I think this dyspnea is probably um, cardiac related. Have you found in practice and probably more pertinently in your locum role, have you found um, mixed reactions from from vets when you have demonstrated or got involved with with how you know competent you are with ultrasound? It's been a mixture. So I think some of them are quite surprised initially, because I think it doesn't even cross people's mind whether that's nurses or vets that we can do it. So most recently, last week, we had a patient come in massive distended abdomen, and I was like looking at it. I was like, there's definitely, surely there's not be fluid in that dog. So we went to scan it, the vet was scanning it and before starting sort of just turned to me and said, I'm not the best at ultrasound scanning. So if you see anything on the screen that might look a bit bit weird or, or anything, please just speak up whatever you think like. And I said, oh, I have lectured on ultrasound, so I do have a bit of knowledge on it. And because I don't like shouting about myself or anything, like that, I don't want to stand there and be like, well, I do them. I used to do them sort of fairly often a bit pieces. And he turned around and said, you, um, oh, you've, what, you've been to a lecture on ultrasound? And I went, no, I delivered the lecture. And he sort of sat there and was like, oh, uh, no no pressure then. But then he was scanning it and he couldn't get the images that he wanted. And then I sort of ended up doing a bit of, like, not teaching. I don't want it to sound sort of you know, belittling anyone or anything like that at all. But just sort of saying, I would probably just move your probe sort of slightly towards the rib cage if you want to be seeing this and probably clip a bit more and various things like that. And then got the images he needed, tapped the fluid and basically went from there. And he was sort of quite welcoming of the help and, and guidance from it, which was, it gave me some satisfaction as well, because I felt like I did know what I was talking about and putting that into practice as well, rather than in a lecture scenario of being able to have slides up on the screen and talk about them and actually put it into a practice sort of setting. And then also the satisfaction it gave me, because I felt like it sort of benefited the patient as well. And that went on to all sorts in terms of the, the dog's blood pressure. And then the fluid that was tapped, we sort of then done the serum and glucose levels on it. And I then stained the slide and found bacteria and it was septic. So, you know, there was a whole sort of story going on from there. So I, th I think there's definitely sort of a shock sometimes when you sort of say that you can do it, but it's quite welcomed especially when people aren't confident in performing the ultrasound scans yeah. 
Yeah, I have to agree with a lot of what you've said, Jack, about kind of learning and that ultrasound is that sort of practical skill, and it doesn't it doesn't matter who who you are, um, you can you can learn it through through time and experience and things. Was there a particular was there a particular sort of moment when you were learning where there was something that you you sort of struggled more with with understanding the ultrasound images, or was there, or on the, on the sort of flip side of that, was was there something that you started doing that that sort of helped you develop more as you were kind of learning? I think that the thing that I struggled most with when I started was looking at the heart images and trying to sort of just getting your head to like what what you're looking at and how the heart is coming on on the screen and that takes a little bit of getting used to and then sort of the orientation of the probe so in my the lectures I've done I've, ne I've never sat, stood there or you know sort of lectured on how to hold the probe or how to put it to your patients or sort of things so I think that's something that people need to kind of trial and error and just try for themselves and just sort of see which different images that gives them in terms of being able to be confident with it I think it was just taking the time and sitting there with sort of no distractions some not distractions but you know sitting there and actually being able to take the time rather than rushing it I think if you rush it sometimes people then won't clip any fur or hair off the patient and just put a bit of sphera on it and and try and get an image and then they end up not getting the image they want and or it'll just look like a fuzzy blurry mess and they literally won't get anywhere and then they just think well I can't do this and then they never do it again and they give up so I think it's just having that time to take to sort of teach yourself and just have a play around with, with the machine, with the probe and just sort of seeing what the different settings do. Yeah, I, I, I think that that is a real barrier to it. I mean, often we're so time pressured in practice that, that a lot of people sort of think, well, I've just got to get this done or they've got a lot to do anyway. And and it is a big mistake, especially with things like ultrasound and other, any, well, any practical skill, learning anything is not giving yourself that that much time. And it's a, it's a really common thing that people ask us about as well is sort of it's like how how long should this sort of exam take and things and when you're when you're learning um people people sort of seem to have this idea that a kind of like a full abdominal ultrasound or certain exams can be done in a very very short um, space of time when actually over over sort of over with time and experience you, you actually realize how much more time you need than you think and kind of going back to people we often sort of have to say to people look if, if you're learning you want at least maybe 45 minutes maybe an hour to kind of work through this and try to be methodical and I know often it's very difficult to kind of get that time in in practice but it's one of the one of the real barriers I think people have is that sort of idea that it's got to be done in 10 minutes or 15 minutes so that's all the time you're going to get because it, it just like exactly as you said if they're not prepped up properly and, and people aren't given that kind of environment you very quickly get disillusioned with it and it, it and kind of it just sort of then makes it quite stressful the next time you kind of come to do anything yeah absolutely the most in terms of the scanning was if we had sort of post-op patients that had had free fluids or they'd been their abdomen had been flushed was going in sort of night after night and doing that sort of evening scan because you could see yourself how it developed right in front of your eyes or wh whether it was getting bigger or whether it was like oh no this is actually this is getting a lot better it's sort of resolving so and, and again that was being done from a nurse-led Point of care ultrasound scans it wasn't the vets doing it that evening I was coming in they were going can you do the scan again tonight can you do the scan again tonight and I was like absolutely absolutely sort of thing no problem so yeah but having that 
time and space or even if you have got someone in your practice like sort of an ultrasonographer who you can go to and even watching the scans but ask questions some of them will sit there and they'll just do their scan they don't say anything because it's just the norm for them is to whiz around see what they need to see save the images and then off the, off they go so yeah definitely sit there and ask questions so i'm picturing this in the wards as the the sheet the inpatient sheet of checks has got fast scan on is that how it's is that how it works that's absolutely brilliant how long does it sort of take you to do your fast scan if it's part of your inpatient checks so what we used to do where i was when i was in a the hospital they as a sort of standard if they were like an enterectomy they would have two scans a day that would be am and pm um, and if you're on nights and it was busy during the day you usually used to got the sort of benefit of doing both of them because you do the morning scan and, and the evening sort of as you're finishing your night shift uh, if they were sort of looking for free, free fluids in the quadrants then i'd probably sort of spend sort of no no more than 10 minutes i think doing it just to measure the pockets of free fluid also looking at gut motility was quite a common thing as well because a lot of them would be on metoclopramide infusions and making sure that their gut motility was working or did they need any extra sort of prokinetics or any feeding tubes placed and any sort of further assistance so it was just nice to sort of be able to follow it through and have it on there as standard and I think sort of some practices probably don't do that as standard but again that's something they can add in for their nurses to do there's there's nothing stopping them from doing that if they have the machine there that the patient's already clipped from having a surgery you know you've got your nurses on hospital shifts and on the wards sort of utilize them to do it and you're gonna end up in if the nurse has an interest in it you're gonna end up with them getting some progression and, and feeling sort of satisfied from from their position as opposed to being you know a mop on a floor potentially and doing some doing some washing and then you're also going to get better patient care because if you if you've got vets who are rushed off their feet and haven't got time to do those scans and that fluid is getting bigger so if that um surgical site inside is broken down but you've got your nurses scanning it and that could come to your attention far quicker or you know come to your attention as a whole rather than being missed because sort of people haven't got time to do it then yeah you're going to get better patient care and better patient outcomes as well yeah that'll be fantastically good for the patient care getting those checks and getting that information i was just interested when you're mentioning um sort of post-surgical sort of scans as a follow-up did you have a lot of issues with sort of free abdominal gas then sort of obscuring your images just just on there because i mean i know i've sort of seen it post-surgically you might get a lot of um, if there's a lot of air in the abdomen for whatever reason we'll get artifacts from it i've seen it a couple of weeks after surgery but i was just interested from your experience on it jack as to how how often you sort of see it i personally haven't seen a lot of it what we tended to do is if they had gastrointestinal surgery they'd use if it was sort of like septic or anything along along those lines they'd usually be flushed with sort of warm saline so you tended to get a, there would be free fluid on your first initial post-surgical scan, which probably helps in terms of the gas not being present, I guess, when you've got the fluid sitting there. So we'd then measure that because it was inevitable it was going to be there. You can suction them all you like and there's, there's still going to be some fluid in there somewhere. And then we then tended to sort of follow that up with the scans to make sure that that, was, that fluid was getting smaller. I think I've probably been lucky so far not to have the, the post-surgical sort of gas after opening them up. I mean, that sounds so progressive for hospitalised patients. Like, that'd be fantastic. You know, you go through 
doing your uh, every four hour checks and every four hours or every six to 12, they get another fast scan. Do you see any other areas of veterinary nursing that are progressing, such as diagnostic imaging? I definitely think there's there's quite a lot, actually. I think that's such a broad sort of um, thing that's happening, even in things that are like non-clinical in veterinary nursing, like the leadership roles that are, that are there for vet nurses now. There's roles available that weren't available even three or four years ago that now vet nurses are considered for. Anesthesia is a big thing that's that's developing massively. I think sort of RVNs have got much more of a role in anesthesia. And again, if they've got an interest in it, like let them embrace it and go for it because there's no point in sticking someone in theatre who likes to do consults or you know, if, if someone hates diagnostic imaging, why would you sort of stick them in it all day doing scans of the vet when they're just going to be bored and completely sort of unmotivated to do so? The other thing is the schedule three. So I've seen men, so many more nurses doing stitch ups or minor lump removals that they can do that is all under the sort of schedule three. So absolutely, I think it's, it's progressing how it should do. What I would like to see would be more sort of certificates in the future that there's not really a nurse certificate in diagnostic imaging, sadly, other than if you were to go and do the vet tech certificate in America, which there is a diagnostic imaging one and a, and a cardiology one. But that's quite difficult to achieve over here because I think you have to have someone who is a vet tech over here to sort of train you already, which there are a few of, and I think it's a growing number in the UK. So I think it's definitely progressed in, in all areas of, of, of that for the vet nurses. Would you be interested in popping over to America to get that qualification so that you can come back and fulfil that role and spread the training and spread the certification amongst RVMs? It's definitely crossed my mind, um, for sure. It would be quite a challenge, I think. I think you can do a lot of it over here and I think you then end up having to go to America for the exams, I think is how the vet tech works off the top of my head um i know a few people who have sort of done the internal medicine ones so it would definitely be something that if there was you know something out there to further develop the diagnostic imaging side of of my sort of uh, career then I, i would like to do so i'd also like it if it was then potentially like there to unlock things as well if that makes sense so unlock extra things that you could carry out with it so for instance like those um samples of taking sort of free fluid if there's a patient in front of me that has got mountains of free fluid in it and I could pop a syringe needle in and be able to see whether it's sort of you know frank blood or whether that's sort of a clear fluid sort of with the ascites then that's also going to give you further information to come to the vet in, in an emergency situation say this dog's bleeding or this dog has got ascites you know I would like it if, if they were have the ability to unlock different tasks that you could then be competent in in carrying out. How do you think that um, ultrasound and imaging training could be improved for vet nurse students to kind of bring them into practice feeling ready and capable and allowed to and expected to scan? So my biggest thing is to have training and this is something that I'm hoping to do in the very near future is to provide training for vet nurses. But I want it to be training sort of for vet nurses, but by a vet nurse. So I'd prefer it to, I think that breaks down that barrier and they're more likely to engage with it and be like, oh, I can do this rather than completely switching off. And, you know, if a vet's using some real technical terms that they're literally just going to switch off at. I remember watching a lecture that was delivered and it was all about the different frequencies and how the 
probes worked and what they were made of and the, all the physics behind it. And I completely, completely went blank because I was like, I just want to know what I'm looking at on the screen. What what is fluid? What's gas? You know, what an in, what the intestine should look like and, and various things like that. So I think it's having that. It's one of the things when you learn theory, like sort of when you, you're sort of passing a test, half of it you don't actually will then take into clinical practice. So I think it's giving them the tools that they need to use in clinical practice as opposed to the tick box exercise to be like, you need to know the theory before you, you know, the theory test in a car, half of it you probably don't even remember anymore. So I think it's similar to that, is having the tools to take into clinical practice in sort of everyday reality rather than the textbook um, tick box exercises. What advice, so say you had nurses in practice that were keen to pick up an ultrasound probe, what advice would you give to really get them to make that jump into asking their vets to, or just picking up a probe and scanning an animal? I would use it, especially now, I said, like when there's so many like vets who potentially are off or we're short staffed, just offer to do it. And, you know, whilst they're busy doing something else and just take a few images, and then you can talk through them afterwards. I, it's, it sounds a bit weird, but it's far more interesting when there's something abnormal on a scan than when it's all completely normal. Because I guess it's just like, well, there's something wrong with this animal, but it's, I haven't found it on the ultrasound scan sort of thing. Whereas when you find something abnormal, whether that's, you know, an abnormal heart or the gallbladder looks funny or the, you know, or the, or the liver or the or free fluid, um, it's far more interesting. And then talking through that. And if you find it as well, I think you then get a bit of a buzz from it as well. And knowing that you potentially have helped that patient and, and the progress from it. So I think it's literally just picking it up and having a go and trying to sort of identify what you can see. And then from there, the more you keep doing it, you'll you'll then gradually just get to the point where you're, you're just doing it as a second nature, really. I really like getting nurses involved with uh, pregnancy scanning because it's relatively straightforward. It's really enjoyable. And once they've got that, because that sort of teaches you to find fluid, and heartbeats and compare the heartbeat to the maternal heartbeat they seem to get really hooked so I think that's quite cool and it can be quite nice even to get the nurses to 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 actually do this with the owners obviously the vets have to be present as part of the pregnancy diagnosis but then to to show the owners more images which the owners really enjoy I think there's a good space in practice for that yeah absolutely and I I think this that's no bad thing because the problem I think we've got at the moment is that you've got these unregulated professionals out there who are offering pregnancy scanning. And I think if they can tell an owner that their animal is pregnant, why can't a trained professional, you know, as long as your vet is competent that, and confident in your nurse's abilities to do so, and with their, I would probably say, you know, with their second opinion almost, sort of taking them still images and the videos, if they're assessing those, and you, you're making a, a joint decision, then I don't see the problem there personally. I probably wouldn't do it just to make not, not, you know, I don't want any comeback from sort of saying your dog's pregnant for sure. And then two weeks later, they sort of further down the line when, when she's due, there's no puppies or, you know, sort of a, a fatality sort of happened with them um, or mortality rather not. Yeah. But I definitely agree with you in terms of it's quite an interesting thing to see. Um, off the back of that, in terms of emergencies, C-sections are <laughs> quite a regular occurrence or a sort of welcoming bitch that's having trouble. So scanning the heart heartbeats to check the, the rates is quite quite a nice thing to do. And also, you know, one of them tasks that a vet doesn't have to do, 
they can be doing something else whilst you're doing that and you can be counting the rates and and going from there in terms of the, the plan going forwards. Some, something that's quite interesting because we've been talking a lot about barriers and sort of what sort of prevents people. One of the things that people never like to talk about is is kind of money and the charging aspects. Obviously, veterinary medicine is 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 a is a business, and we don't have a sort of NHS style um, sort of service for pets. And a lot of kind of vets that we speak to have um, often get frightened with they lack confidence in something like ultrasound. They, they for lack confidence in sort of charging is this something you've experienced with you sort of your time as you've kind of come into it people being a bit not a bit unsure about kind of charging for your time which we've, we've already established it's incredibly valuable because of the service and the care you're providing but i'm just sort of interested to see you kind of where your opinions are with that and with kind of nurses providing that because i know this is one of these things that people often overlook in these discussions is sort of where they kind of charge for time and sometimes they're a little bit frightened too as well do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's absolutely a chargeable service, regardless who's doing it. I think it's one of them things in terms of getting to the point where you're you're competent in doing so, and that you're you know whether they're charging for like a focus scan. Once you've got uh, almost like probably going through a process of the vets sort of doing training, maybe or um, the nurses being trained to do so and being signed off on that, so that it is a chargeable service if if they're doing it. So it's well then it's a massive topic because I guess as you develop your nurses you can then charge for their time and their skill sets which again there's a huge topic on salaries and you know vets and nurses salaries charging for their time they're so guilty of you know they, they don't do it even though it's so valuable and the time and the expertise that's put into it so with regards to ultrasound we used to have fees for sort of poker scans AFAS TFAS scans and then there would be a different setup for sort of cardiology scans. They'd have like a major abdominal sort of ultrasound scan, which would be performed by one of the vets with a diagnostic imaging certificate because you're getting probably a slightly different level of, of scan. They can sort of look for the fi- finer details of sort of are the adrenal glands looking normal and, and sort of bits and pieces from that, even though my claim sort of is that I have found an adrenal gland on my dog because I was challenged to do so by a CPD company and did find it after watching IMV's video on how to find an adrenal gland <laughs> and also the video on how to find a pancreas as well because I was sat upstairs before I started my shift and my dog is got a history of pancreatitis and I said the vet was like walked upstairs and said what are you doing I said I'm just watching a video on how to find a dog's pancreas and he was like you're not going to find a dog's pancreas half of the vets struggle to find a pancreas you're not going to do it and I was like right okay fine and then he was like what are you doing now and I was like just looking to find how to find an, an, an adrenal gland because um a vet called Scott Kilpatrick who won't mind me sharing his name um from VTX DVD challenged me because he knew that I was looking for a pancreas he said we raise you your pancreas for an adrenal gland and the next day the vet came walking in and I was like found the pancreas and he went what how'd you do that and I went, I also found the adrenal gland. He's like, no, you didn't. I was like, yes, I did. And I had a, I had a photo of it as well. So, yeah, that was my um, one of my claims. So I've probably got massively off, off topic there. But, yeah, I think nurses can develop it into to anything, really. And they can go as far as they like with it. There's there's no difference. We're, we're all human. So we can all 
do, we've all got the same hands to, to, to perform the scans. Uh, yeah, we here at IMV, we firmly believe that ultrasound is a practical skill and as, as such, it is, is very teachable. So you are obviously living evidence of that. So thank you for sharing that experience of using our videos. They are very helpful. It's just like having something quick and easy to refer to, even if I was in the room that I could then just pop the video on and be like, you know, it doesn't take a few minutes to sort of describe how, how to find something and, and things in a sort of simple context and then go from there. So it's handy to have that resource, especially if it was sort of in the middle of the night when you've not got anyone else who you could potentially call upon, that you have that service available. So where do you think that your ultrasound journey will take you next? Have you got any big plans for the future? I know that you lectured at BBNA last year. Are you there again this year? Or are you hoping to do some webinars or lectures before then? So um, definitely more lectures, um, hopefully on the horizon. I've, uh, the BBNA Congress uh, sort of schedule hasn't been sort of confirmed and released yet. Um, but I would hope to be there again because it was quite a successful lecture um, last time. I think there was that. Um, it was reduced numbers for the whole co the Congress as a whole because of the, the pandemic. But I think 108 people turned up to the room and there's people sitting on the floor because there was no, there was not enough chairs and I was just watching all these people come in as my first in-person lecture and it was a bit terrifying. Um, and then sort of sort of developing on from that, one of the questions I actually had was, do I um, provide sort of practical training on ultrasound? So that's something that I'm looking to develop to give that practical in-house training. So whether that's going into people's practices and, and doing hands-on sort of practical sessions with the nurses there as well. So the, the thing that sort of makes that difficult sometimes is having the actual patients to practice on. So if you go into a practice and have not, not got any patients to practice on, makes it a bit difficult but hopefully there'll be some willing staff volunteer pets that that will come in so um yeah that's something that i'm looking to develop sort of in in the very near future i think that would be extraordinarily well received yeah i've had um i actually when i went to london vet show there was some people who were like i need to speak to you and i was sort of like oh my god i don't know who this is. I don't, i'm really sorry i don't know who you are she's like you won't know who i am because i've not ever spoken to you before so but basically it was like i want you to come to uh network of practices that um, they have and teach all the nurses do ultrasound so that's sort of I think what people have been asking for is, is the practical side of things so and then I think just developing educational content for people as well so whether that's sort of posts on Instagram that they can refer to and bits and pieces of that. Funny somewhere I was locoming in the west of Scotland one of the nurses there who's long qualified um, gave me your Instagram and was like, you should check this guy out. And I was like, oh, okay. So you are pretty famous. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. It's really weird because I never, I always used to hear people talking about like, finding your niche and things like that. And I was literally was like being at work and I was like, oh my God, I haven't got one. Like I'm obviously a failure because I haven't got a specific subject I'm interested in. And I was like, oh my God, everyone else has. And then all of a sudden it like pings out of nowhere, like years down the line. I was like, oh. There is. So like I wouldn't put any pressure on yourself to to find a niche area that you enjoy. I think it'll just it, it happens when it happens, and if it doesn't, there's nothing wrong with that either. Wow, that has been really informative. There really is so many skills veterinary nurses have in practice. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the podcast and thank you, Jack, for joining us. Please, guys, do check out his Instagram and Facebook pages for great imaging content and keeping up to date with his new adventure. For nurses listening who haven't done so yet, please just pick up an ultrasound and have a scan. 
We'll be back next month for another episode of Focal Point. Until then, please do also visit our social media platforms for lots of great content to help improve your imaging skills. Until then, it's a goodbye from all of us. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Bye, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. And it's goodbye from me.